American National is proud to support No Ceiling, helping to tell the stories of professional women. American National is dedicated to providing paths for leadership and advancement through the Women's Forum, a group of female leaders who provide encouragement, mentorship, and advocacy for American National female employees. With four corporate locations in Galveston and League City, Texas, Albany, New York, and Springfield, Missouri, the opportunities for leadership advancement are vast. American National believes taking care of business starts with taking care of its employees. I just think that this whole year has made us all pause and stop and take a, a moment to really inventory what was important, what is important, and how do we intertwine those two things moving forward. Today's guest is Katie Towns. At the time of our conversation, she was serving as the acting director of the Springfield Green County Health Department after Clay Goddard's departure. As part of the leadership team at the department, she spent the past year educating the community on staying healthy and safe amid the COVID-19 pandemic. The path to this role is one she says she didn't expect, but now it's her calling. As she vies for the director position, she says she's learning to embrace her own style of leadership, while also raising two young kids as a single parent. She says taking care of herself is one way she's made it through the past year. From SBJ Podcasts, I'm Christine Temple, and this is No Ceiling, a show that goes in-depth with local women, sharing their journey to the top of their professions and the challenges and triumphs they faced along the way. They're rewriting the script on success, and there's no ceiling. Of course, the community knows all about what we've experienced in this past year with the COVID-19 virus, the, yeah. this global health pandemic. But here in our community, we've had over 28,500 cases, 426 deaths to the virus, and as of today, as we're speaking, almost 24% of people have been fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Um, we know the numbers, but there's a lot of people that put a lot of work and effort into keeping our community safe and educated and informed. Um, and you're one of those leaders in our community. Uh, what has this past year been like for you professionally? Professionally, it's been like nothing I've ever experienced before, obviously, and I think everybody, you know, feels that way. Um, but it has, it has definitely tested capacity that I don't think I ever knew that I had. Um, there have been moments of real joy, like on last week at the end of the week, having Thursday and Friday over 6,000 people get vaccinated. I mean, that I can't tell you how much that um, moment has really helped lift spirits and bring a lot of hope um, to our community and show, you know, that people are committed to helping us move past this pandemic and get back to normal. And But there's also been uh, some moments of pretty... Um, deep despair. I mean, mm -hmm. seeing last fall, as we knew what was happening in terms of the cases continuing to rise and spread in the community, just um, going higher and higher, and then what was going to be the result of that, which would be people getting very sick and ending up in the hospital, and then ultimately some people perishing. Um, it was It was definitely a 
a period of time where we were headed into a storm and we just didn't quite see the horizon and Mm -hmm. it was hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that through those times are when you grow the most. And Mm -hmm. so I think ultimately what I would say professionally this year has done, even if it sounds cliche, is it has given us all perspective on how far we can really reach and then, you know, find our our resilience to keep going and pressing forward and figuring Mm -hmm. out figuring out how we can ultimately um, recover and heal Mm -hmm. so and like many of our healthcare workers and health department leaders you know us in the community we were hunkered down when this happened right like we all went home and and did virtual Mm -hmm. everything and you guys were going into work Mm -hmm. and trying to find solutions um and trying to find answers when there were not a lot of answers. Yeah. It's not like you knew all these things and no. we didn't know. <laughs> right, right. Um, how did you manage the the weight of that responsibility of realizing that so many people were so afraid mm-hmm. while you were also afraid, I assume? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how did you manage that responsibility? Were you prepared for that? So I think at first it's it was just day by day. And I, I'll admit, I don't think I was managing very well for some time. I mean, there, you know, there was a lot of fear. I remember driving to work and being the only car on the highway and then getting there and sitting in an, our conference room that looks out on Chestnut Expressway and having no cars drive by. And it was just this eerie feeling like you're in a movie and you know, you can't quite make sense of it. But um, I also remember getting done with work and then going to the gas station and thinking, am I going to pick it up here and then get sick and be at home and not be able to take care of my kids and um, not be able to go back to work where I knew there was a lot to be done. But um, I appreciate what you said about you, you know, understanding that there was a learning curve for us as well, because I think it's, you know, a lot of folks wanted to look to us for instant answers. And unfortunately, we didn't have them because every single situation where a virus um, presents itself, there's things that you have to learn about it. And it took some time. And so I think what we tried to do during that time was to manage our own fears as best as we could. And we have a, a tremendous team at our department. And, you know, the other thing is tremendous partners. And we we had a camaraderie um, amongst that group of people. We talked to them every day on a phone call. And it was everybody was all in. And um, we knew that we had that broad-based support from, you know, our our government leaders, our healthcare partners. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of businesses were reaching out to us and sending us lunch or sending us words of encouragement. And those are the things that really helped to sort of ground us and remember that, you know, we had a base of support that we were all using to get through that fear and to just keep moving forward and figuring out what was the next best thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so um, day by day until it started to feel different and Mm -hmm. we learned more and then things changed. Mm -hmm. I think uh, as a community member, when I think about the health department, Mm -hmm. I don't think of it as like the leader of our community Mm -hmm. typically, but you guys become that in these health crises. Right. Um, And so 
in addition to so many people seeing you as a leader and and like almost almost sainting to sound like Saint <laughs> yeah. Clay, Saint yes. Katie, yeah. right? Like <laughs> looking to you guys in, in this way. Yeah. There was also people that really uh, vilified mm-hmm. the, the comments that you were making, mm-hmm. the 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 science mm-hmm. that you did not create. Right, you're sharing. Right. Um, what was that like to hold both of those truths mm-hmm. and realize that you are serving both of those people? Yeah, I mean, I think all of us in public health um, have somewhat of an affinity to this profession because we believe in, um, at our core, the ability for us mm-hmm. as um, a unit, a department, to improve life and Mm -hmm. health and quality of life through that. And so I think it comes back to um, understanding that we are, we're public servants and we got into this profession because of that, not to necessarily um, pick and choose who we were going to serve, but Mm -hmm. to serve our community. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, for me, when you hear comments that are um, aimed to you know, question or vilify, if you will. Um, I think that there's just, you know, an acceptance. Um, it's not always easy, but it's mm-hmm. sort of this um, recognition that not everybody is going to share the same respect or understanding for the science that we know mm-hmm. we have to apply in order to help people stay healthy and safe and um, and ultimately improve life. And I think this, even though this pandemic shown some light on some of those things, we have not been immune to that in the past. I mean, we've worked on issues, tobacco related issues, Mm -hmm. where we have received the same sorts of um, feedback from the community members on, you know, what that means and how to handle it. So it wasn't the first time, but it's definitely, like you said, maybe in a different level of um, viewing at the where the pandemic placed the health department. And so I just think that what it was for us is, I mean, having a lot of conversations with Clay during this whole initial um, response, it was, we have a job to do, and it's to serve the community with the best that we know on the science that we have trained in, have used and applied widely in other sets of um, diseases. And so we're not going to sway from that now. We're just going to remain committed, and we're not going to make everybody happy. And that's that's not you know necessarily comfortable all the time, but it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking back to a year ago how um, we all, you know, had to go home, work from home. And all of us at Springfield Business Journal were sitting around the table and thinking, okay, we're going to be home, you know, for two weeks. That's what we're planning for. Um, But we really had no idea what we were facing. And I think so for me personally, it's like when you hit that two week mark, like, wow, this this might be much longer. And um, I realized that I was not taking care of my mental health. Mm Because it was like, you can do anything for two weeks. Right. And then this isn't sustainable. Right. What, did you experience any challenges with your own mental health? How did you take care of yourself? Yeah, so that's a, mental health has been um, something that's been near and dear to my heart for obviously a long time. Because we have, 
you know, in the past few years at the health department, spent a lot of time and energy understanding our community's mental health and, um, and then looking for solutions that were going to help create improvements in that area. And we had just kind of gotten started on some of those things and then the pandemic hit. And so it was very much top of mind, very much still top of mind. And I think when you're um, in that initial phase of learning about the virus and looking at two weeks as a possibility and us, you know, then moving on, it's sort of like um, walking into a situation that you've never been into before and your, you know, your adrenaline kind of gets you through that situation. Um, And so your mental health, I feel like, is almost like buffered for a moment because you have this sort of extra superpower that's surging through your body to help make make this, um, you know, this next step that Mm -hmm. you don't quite know what's going to happen. But I think over time, um, you know, the monotony of continuing to have to say the same things and do the same things and not having the social interactions that we were formerly used to and reprogramming our brains to have different means of coping um, has been something that we've probably all been through this past year. And us too. I mean, me, you know, I will be the first to tell you I struggle with anxiety. And so I have had a counselor and this year I have spent a lot of time with her and we've, I mean, she obviously figured out how, um, we could meet virtually. And so throughout the, you know, different phases of what was going on and how difficult it was becoming. Um, I maybe would meet with her more often. She is wonderful at prescribing me different ways to help deal with and cope with that. But anxiety has been something that, you know, has not gotten better in a lot of circumstances for people through this process. It's, um, it's gotten harder to manage. And so I, you know, I definitely, have used more of, you know, things that she has told me to use like meditation and self-care and letting, you know, letting go of expectations around what's happening at home, what didn't get done at home. Um, and then focusing in on my kids and, and just spending that time with them, um, it has been some of the, you know, best ways to manage that. And, Um, The other thing, I think I stopped exercising almost completely at the beginning of the pandemic and started eating gummy bears every day at work because (laughs) I don't know why, but that was a good coping mechanism. And (laughs) then all of a sudden I was just feeling really um, lethargic. And so I I had gotten, somebody had sent me um, Runner's World magazine and I I like to run, but I had just kind of stopped. And so it had this article about um, doing a running streak. And so I picked it up and I started that and I ran for 40 days, whether it was like I had to run a mile at least every day for um, 40 days. I mean, I could do more if I wanted to. But one day I remember I had gone to pick up food for my kids and on the way home I lost my phone, my brand new, I had just gotten a new phone. I lost my phone, couldn't get a hold of the sitter who was with my children. I, I mean, it was just a disaster of the day. But I finally got home. We got, I got my kids, got um, home, and it was about nine o'clock at night, and I still had to run my mile. And I was like, oh, I'm so tired. I don't want to deal with that. But I did it. And it was like this 
this commitment to self that I think yeah. that is something that I have gained through this process. Yeah. And I think that was maybe a um, mental health win in a lot of ways because I, I think we all tend to abandon our own needs in order to figure out how to, you know, serve and take care of all the other things going on in life. And it was a recognition for me after, even after that day, because it was like, I got done with my mile and I felt better and I felt like I had accomplished something. And it was like, that is why, you know, we all have to remain committed to our own um, well-being in order to help continue to do life and do, you know, what we need to do the rest of the time that we're living. Mm -hmm. Keeping those promises to yourself. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I just love that you eat gummy bears. Or you did. (laughs) Because you're from the health department and that it just makes us feel like, okay, maybe you're not too far ahead of us. (laughs) No, I'm definitely not. I mean, that was definitely, we, I kept, and I think people were annoyed with me because I kept bringing them to work, but um, we all just would go grab a little stash of them and had them at our desk while we were just working away. So it was probably not the best coping mechanism, but it was something that worked for yeah, a moment. So, for a moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you, you mentioned your kiddos because yes. you have, you have two young kids. I do. And, um, you know, any parent in this past year has been tested to probably the boundaries of, of their limits. <laughs> Heard a lot of stories. Yes. Um, but you're also a, a single mom. Mm-hmm. And so um, you are facing both this massive challenge for your kids. Mm-hmm. Their life totally changed. Yes. Um, and and that's that's big. Kids, mm-hmm. kids are resilient, but they still are impacted by these oh, massive yeah. changes. Absolutely. Um, and then you're also, you know, you don't get to take a break Mm-mm. because you're helping our community move forward. You're right. the leader in this. So um, how was that at home with your kids? What was that like? Um, how did you learn to manage those two massive responsibilities? I think I'm still learning. Yeah. And I think that this year has um, bonded me with my children in a way that, we would not have had otherwise. I mean, before the pandemic, we were overscheduled. I mean, we had sports almost every night of the week and on the weekends. Um, we had birthday parties. And if we weren't doing that, we were running, you know, to try and figure out how to keep up with, you know, school needs and whatnot. And I just think that this whole year has made us all pause and stop and take a a moment to really inventory what was important, what is important, and how do we intertwine those two things moving forward. And um, I mean, my daughter was in kindergarten when this happened, and she never went back. And, you know, we started last year back into summer school. And I remember her saying, you know, just being completely confused about what what had happened. And they're pretty smart kids, but it was just a lot to sort of um, understand. And then, you know, when they do go back in the summer, they got on a bus wearing masks and having to wear masks all day at school. And I think they got used to that pretty quickly. I was pretty impressed with how well children just adapted to that. Um, But 
you know, starting again in the fall and only having two days of a week that they were in school, that's what we chose the seated option. And so they went to school two days and then they were home three days. And I was working at home while they were at doing school at home. And there were days where there was just too much and it was just complete like shutdown in our house. And I think what it sort of again teaches is that like we all have our limits and we have to pay attention to those. And um, sometimes we have to push through them because there was work that had to get done. But I figured out in a lot of ways how to stop and be intentional about helping them when they needed it. Because if they were, you know, frustrated with something that was going on at school or just bored and needing some attention, that was what I did. And then I put off doing the other things, work things until later that night when they had had a little bit of time to recoup themselves. And then, you know, I could go back. So I think it, it sort of has given me new light on how to multitask. Um, but to do that where, you know, it's more compartmentalized. And I think compartmentalizing is a good strategy sometimes. I think it gives a negative light. But I think that our brains are on overload, and they have been. And so we've all been given a lot to deal with at any given time and figuring out how to manage those things within the, the structure of being present and actually focusing on the, the, the child or the task at hand rather than, you know, trying to do both and do it well has sort of struck with me as a way to handle things moving forward. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So at the same time that we're going through this health pandemic, there's also this economic crisis. Yes. And, you know, it relates into what you're saying because um, some people have dubbed it a she session Mm. because of the industries that have been so impacted are predominantly um, uh, employed, you know, women work in those industries. And um, I found this uh, McKinsey study that Mm -hmm. fascinated me that said one in four women because of this past year are considering either leaving the workforce or downshifting their career because the demand is too great at home and in the workplace. Mm. And I think that as much as we love to talk about equality, there's still the realities of the demands of women at home. Absolutely. That's that's a reality. Mm -hmm. It is. Um, And you being a single parent, Mm -hmm. how have you uh, considered that in this past year? Because Mm -hmm. you're now um, applying for the, health department director Correct. position. Yeah. So you're looking to take on more responsibility. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe we're not dealing with the same level of pressure as yeah. we have in this past year. Mm-hmm. I sure hope not. Yes. Right. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> but there's no telling what's, what's the next thing. What's to come. So I think as women, we definitely have um, this innate need to um, – you know, find ways to really care for those around us and those that are most important to us. And that, I think that that's, it's actually a very beautiful thing um, that I think applied across the workforce and at home. Um, You know, it's something that I think we should all be proud of, that that is a part of who we are. But I think where we have to be careful is the balance of that. And it's a lot of it, I think, for me anyway, I'll just speak from my own experience. Mm -hmm. Um, It comes from challenging 
our own assumptions about what expectations that we need to meet for ourselves Mm -hmm. in order to um, be considered all of the, you know, at the top of your game on all the different roles that you serve. And so for me, I mean, there is nobody else at my house that will do the things that need to be done for my children. And in some ways, I think that that has often helped me because it's it's sort of given me this perspective of, you know, it is it is my job and it's something I love to do is to take care of my kids. And it's very difficult at times because you can't feel like you're possibly able to meet all of the needs and all of the demands. But that's negative self-talk that is preventing me from moving forward and doing th- something that I feel strongly, um, you know, I, I almost feel in some ways that this job for me is a calling that I've been pursuing for a long time in life without even really recognizing that. Um, I feel like there's been a lot of things along my path that have put me where I am today and you know, sort of aiming for this ultimate goal um, of figuring out how to best take on that responsibility, but also be a good mom, um, because that is, you know, the most important job in my life. And, but at the same time, I think I am a better mom when I am doing what I love to do in my job. And I'm also better at my job when I'm being a good mom. And so I think working on both of those things together, um, it's a constant daily um, sort of, I don't want to say grind. I mean, it's, it's it's not a grind. It's more of a daily commitment maybe to um, just keeping oriented towards the two most important things in my life right now. And I think that, you know, at some point work will shift and we all are, you know, like aiming towards this goal of what does this new normal look like and feel like, and we want to get there. But I think it's almost like this gradual progression too. And I think we have to take all of these things that we've learned along this way and apply them. And and that can help us to grow and become more open to the the idea and the capacity that maybe I can. Maybe if I challenge those beliefs about myself that I'm not able to do both, I really could do mm-hmm. both and be, you know, as successful as I'm able to be in this place because I'm willing to not just accept the norm that maybe I can't do this because I'm running a household by myself and not able to take on a leadership role. So I think we all have some, you know, internal um, negative talk that holds us back. And I guess my encouragement and what I've tried to do through this process is to keep challenging that and push it back. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) When we come back, Katie talks about how she's learned to let go and choose her battles, and how that strengthened her own leadership and made space for the unexpected. Support for this podcast is provided by presenting sponsor American National Insurance. We'll be right back. Financial success? It's not just about money. It's knowing how to make the most of it. It helps to have your own banking expert who can offer guidance, new ideas, and smart solutions. At Great Southern Bank, you'll find that expertise along with a full-service team to handle all your personal and business banking needs. 
Learn what we can do for you at greatsouthernbank.com. Ranked a Forbes 2020 World's Best Bank by our customers. Thank you. Member FDIC. Springfield Business Journal has been the business authority for over 40 years. SBJ strives to provide the most relevant, timely, and accurate business news you need to make important decisions. Locally owned and operated, Springfield Business Journal helps businesses market themselves to other businesses. Since 75% of the readers are the owner, GM, or VP at the business, SBJ helps your business influence decision makers when it matters most. If you need to raise your profile when businesses are considering your category of service, make sure you are differentiating yourself by using the Springfield Business Journal. So, you know, as we think about leadership, mm -hmm. I imagine that that's something that's been on your mind mm -hmm. yeah. a lot lately because yes. you're, you're evaluating that for yourself yes. as you're considering this lead role of, of a very large uh, employee base mm -hmm. and, and a large task. Yep. Um, but what are the leadership skills like in the past year that have really stood out to you as like, wow, I really refined that and I, I really love this. And mm -hmm. what are the things that you're like, okay, I learned that did not work. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So I think over the past year, one of the things that I have been forced to get better at is probably figuring out how to, one, let things go and to choose your battles wisely. And um, I am not a person who has learned that easily. Um, I have very high expectations for myself. And then, you know, when you apply that to a leadership position, I feel like my first um, inclination when I am not able to sort of steer something in the direction I had hoped it was going to go or, or achieve some, you know, goal that we've set out to accomplish my first inclination is to come back and to drag myself down. How come you were not able to make that happen? And so I think what I have had to do is accept that there are a lot of things that have been out of our control um, that I would have loved to have had control over during this last year. But when you get to the point where you just finally accept that you're not able to, I think that the letting go allows things to happen that you might not have otherwise, um, you know, seen coming as well. So I think I've, and, and I, I think Clay and I had a couple of conversations about this because we both had moments of reflection of mm -hmm. how do you, you know, evolve and continue to learn how to be a leader because this is, it's a, it's like a press and it was giving us these opportunities to, have years worth of experience crammed into a month of time where you had a task to accomplish and you know you had to really work to get that done and at the end of it the thing that you set out to do was probably not exactly what you aimed to do at the beginning but it in in a lot of ways I can think about examples where it actually came out better mm -hmm. because we just had to let go and let things mm -hmm. happen to a certain extent so I think where it didn't work well was um, thinking that or assuming, and we all know that that leads to bad things, but assuming that when you um, present information that it will be interpreted and applied according to how you mm -hmm. 
apply information. And I just think that over and over again, we have all been given opportunities to see how that plays out. And it's not the same. And it has shown us over and over how unique people are. Mm -hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, it's given us opportunity to be graceful and gracious Mm -hmm. to people. Um, And that's not always easy, but it's the only way to Mm. navigate the world. And I think it's just given us, you know, um, renewed sense of how in this climate, in this environment that we are now living in, if we're going to be kind and accepting and loving as a as a person, as a culture, as a society, there is no weather, no other way to navigate life except to um, continue to apply grace and let people mm. have their own ability to choose and apply information as they will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meet them where they are. Right. Mm-hmm. I love that concept of grace so much because we've all, I think, had to either learn that or or been the recipients of that yes in this past year because um we brought work home yeah and so the lines got super blurred right um and there were so many experiences that people had that were so tough whether they got covid themselves Mm -hmm. or a family member passed away Mm -hmm. or even these hard conversations among family members of believing that COVID's real right? or, or wearing a mask or mm-hmm. how do we get together for a birthday party Yep. or half your family's getting together for Thanksgiving and the other half is not. Right. Um, it's so deeply personal. Yes. And, uh, and we're all experiencing it in a very different way, but there's kind of this collective grief to that. Right. Um, how, how do you feel like going forward, we can keep, the level of empathy that we've gained in the workplace and with mm-hmm. one another. Yeah, so I think um, I think that empathy is one of the things that we can offer the most as we move forward. And I think that sort of our own um, collective grief, like you mentioned, and and the moments where we've all received grace that maybe we shouldn't have been afforded is the place where we start because I think that that's when you when you have received that and you know that feeling it leaves you with something that I think that then we can apply to the world and I think we all um, you know individually as well as in our community across our nation we could all use healing we can use grace we can use kindness and um, I think that the only way that we start that process is by learning how to really look inward and heal ourselves and receive some of that grace from other people in order to do that. And then um, let that be the place where we start to offer that to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So as you're uh, interviewing for this this position of leading the health department, <laughs> I wonder how you got to the health department. Yeah. And um, are you surprised that you're in this position right now. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes I feel like I have that moment of, I mean, even last week when we um, kicked off our vaccination event and Senator Blunt was here Mm -hmm. and the governor, and I was speaking with the two of them as well as 
President Cliff Smart and Mayor McClure, mm-hmm. and I sort of looked around like, how in the world am I standing here with these people who have done tremendous, great things? Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's sort of a moment of awe. Um, I think, you know, a lot of things have led to this point, but I do, I mentioned that earlier. I don't, I can't fully explain it probably in the setting today, Mm -hmm. but I think that there has been something in my life that has always been sort of drawing me towards this point. Mm -hmm. And, um, unbeknownst to me, I don't know if it's probably a good thing that I didn't know that, I'd be working at the health department in the middle of a pandemic, or Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have chosen at times, you know, this career path. But um, I pretty much uh, grew up in St. Louis and came here for college Mm -hmm. and um, ended up, I did sports medicine in my undergrad and then went back and um, pursued a master's in public health at Missouri State. And I met Kevin Gibson. He was one of my instructors. And um, he, you know, kind of reached out and said, hey, if you ever are looking for anything, uh, keep us in mind at the health department. And I thought at the time I was working in nonprofit at the American Cancer Society, and I thought, I'll probably never work for the government. (laughs) Because I don't know, I just had this perception Perception that 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 was something that was just not in my Mm -hmm. wheelhouse. And so um, the recession hit and my job um, at the American Cancer Society, I could see was sort of um, maybe going to be in jeopardy at some point. And I called him up and I called Kevin and said, hey, I'm just kind of curious because I'm looking around in case something were to happen with my position. And lo and behold, I ended up um, in a position at the health department where then I was in the middle of uh, actually um, responding to H1N1 or as people called it, swine flu. Mm -hmm. And we we were doing a vaccination campaign. And I think that that's another, it's, those moments. I mean, I helped with that. And now we're in the middle of a vaccination campaign again. And so it's, you know, all of these little things that have just sort of um, added up and continued to sort of draw me to where I am today. And I feel um, very privileged to be a part of this department. I mean, the leadership from the health department is a legacy. I mean, you have Harold Bench and Kevin Gibson Mm -hmm. and Clay Goddard and all of them have contributed huge, significant amounts to our community. And to sort of step into those shoes and, and, and even in this, just in this interim time, I mean, that sits with me. And I look to them and um, respect what they have done tremendously. And I think I've been afforded a great opportunity to still have each of them as friends. And so I call on them. And Um, but yeah, I think, you know, there's just been a a definite trajectory that has helped lead me here and in whatever capacity I am offered to continue to serve, Mm -hmm. um, it will continue to be a privilege to, to do what I do. And I think that, you know, you started the answer to that question, like, uh, painting that picture of the sea of people Yeah, you were standing around and like, so from the seat, like the audience, mm-hmm. like the, you make sense in that group, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but you, 
I think a lot of times for ourselves, even if people put us in these leadership roles, mm-hmm. there's we have the internal questioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you struggle with that imposter syndrome? Definitely. Okay. Yes. I grew up as a very shy, quiet person mm-hmm. who I did not engage. I didn't have a lot of friends when I was growing up. Um, I was the quiet girl. In fact, my senior year of high school, I was um, like jestingly, but somebody called me out as the shy girl. And, oh. and so, and, and it was, I mean, it's just true. Yeah. It was just, you know, a fact. And so I think a lot of that, like childhood identity mm-hmm. and how it then manifests in how you see yourself as an adult is, is it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as I don't want to necessarily believe that it, it is a part of, you know, having imposter sorts of syndrome and things, um, that hold us back. And so I, I, again, you know, I fight that, but it is something that I think it also is a moment to me of, as you look at leaders or for me, um, my mom has always been a strong influence on, how maintaining humility as you do things in the world helps you to understand and to be curious and to continue to seek information rather than Mm. always just knowing or thinking that you know everything. Mm. And I think that that's a tremendous quality in a leader that I would aspire to have Mm -hmm. forever. And so if that shy, quiet girl, part of me Mm -hmm. keeps me humble and seeking information that I think I will hope that I will always maintain a part of that. Mm -hmm. You know, the way that you're describing leadership um, in that sense, like that's not everyone's style of leadership. Mm -hmm. And um, I, Dr. Carol Taylor from Evangel University has has shared many times about how you're never going to be like the best leader if, if you try to fill the shoes of the person right. that came before you. Like you have you have to be yourself and authentic and um, approach leadership in your own right. Mm-hmm. And that's where kind of your your power is. Right. Um, what do you feel like your leadership style could um, could bring to the health department mm-hmm. as you guys embark on this this new chapter mm-hmm. because COVID-19 is, is not behind us, but we're kind of in a different phase of this. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've had a few conversations and I'm sure over the coming weeks and months, it will get um, more and more attention at our department about where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, we haven't had that moment to really stop and pause and reflect and, and assess how we can take what has happened Mm -hmm. and transform it and recover our community and then look at ways to improve and and sort of um, maybe reposition public health and health in general Um, and i think there's huge opportunity to do that but i guess from my perspective i think i'll go back to that that curiosity Mm um this is a time to me for taking these partnerships that have literally become lockstep with some of these healthcare partners that we've, you know, walked through this with, um, and others that have supported us through this process and to sit down with them and to start to seek feedback, because Mm -hmm. 
I think sometimes the best perspective is those around you. Cause like mm-hmm. you were saying in, in the last um, situation, you know, people see you differently than you see yourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the same for our department. We see one thing and how we can, how we've always operated, what we've done, how that was part of, you know, just an expectation and a standard. But, but there's things that other people have seen us for that we're not aware of right now. And I think we have got this major chance to engage in um, those thoughts and that feedback and really take that seriously and and figure out how we as a health department and in unity with other partners that have you know we've worked with through this process can um, help to make some impact on Mm -hmm. things that you know maybe aren't imminent threats like COVID-19 has been Mm -hmm but maybe more of a chronic threat that we just haven't been able to address yet. And so, I mean, I think I'll go back to mental health for Mm -hmm. one. I mean, that's something I mentioned that we got started on and then sort of moved away because of this, but we're going to have to circle back. And I think one of the biggest things that we all have to do is figure out um, what that means for our community and healing is probably one of the best times to incorporate, reincorporate, mental health into the conversation. A ton has happened. I mean, um, there's a lot of good work going on in the community around improving mental health and addressing, you know, um, mental health needs and suicide and um, those, those things that plague us on a chronic level. So if we can re-engage and um, be curious and take that feedback and really apply it, I think we have a, a real opportunity to do some really great things in the, in the near future. And, uh, you know, even if you don't take on this lead position, mm-hmm. you're, you're still in a leadership role. Yes. And so there's this opportunity, like we've talked about with this new normal. Yeah. Like we don't have to go back to exactly how it was. Right. Um, but you are at a government agency, which like isn't known for being super flexible and right. like high tech, right? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> we try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try the best you can, but yeah. You you have you have limits to what you can we spend do. on things yes. and and um, more regulations for managing people's time and you know all of that all of that to consider and you don't necessarily get to write all the rules right exactly um so you know what are your thoughts on what that might look like in terms of the flexibility because i think about your own experiences with uh your your kids at home Mm -hmm. and then um you know you've mentioned to me the the loss you've experienced in this past year with with your grandparents Mm -hmm. and um all of those things kind of we bring all those things to the workplace. Right. And so what is what does grace look like within flexibility? Yeah. How do you envision that? Yeah, I mean I think that, you know, one of the things that um when you mentioned that I I lost both of my grandmothers this yeah. past year and and it wasn't to covid, it was to other things, yeah. but I think one of the things that struck me during that is we were in the middle, it was both of them were in the last summer and we were in the middle of complete chaos and lots of stress, Mm -hmm. but I was given the opportunity and without question to just go. And I, I got to go visit each of them before they passed away. One was through a window and one was sitting next to 
her holding her hand for mm-hmm. about an hour. And I think, you know, my leadership at the time didn't say, we really need you here. Mm-hmm. We're in the middle of a crisis. My leadership said, go and take care of your family. And that is the kind of culture that I feel like we as a health department, as a city, as any you know, entity that wants to really truly care for our human capital can afford people's lives. And I think that what we've taken from this situation is that if there is some meeting that has to happen in the middle of some, you know, crisis situation where somebody has to be gone, they may be able to still connect because Mm -hmm. now we have this new platform by which we connect on a regular basis. And so, you know, life does not happen in a vacuum. And I think what COVID has done is given us this, this opportunity to sort of integrate it. And, and allow people this glimpse into our human interactions where that almost um, requires grace from people. Uh, I think one morning I was on a Zoom call (laughs) and um, there were a lot of, it was with Healthy Living Alliance, which is sort of our advisory board. And um, I was presenting something and my son and my dog ran screaming through my kitchen at the same time (laughs) that I was in the middle of presenting and it stopped me. But I think, and then I guess there was a little bit of giggling, but I think it was sort of this like acknowledgement that this is where we are. And I think that giving people those glimpses into your life gives them the empathy to, you know, to remember that. We all have that Mm -hmm. stuff that's going on outside of the presentation that we're giving at that moment. Mm -hmm. And so it invites the grace that we need um, that we've talked, you know, multiple times about. And now we have opportunities with infrastructure and tools that it will allow us to continue to connect, but also do life. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a pretty cool thing. Mm -hmm. And what a what a better employee we are when yes. we realize that our full selves are supported at work. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You're not questioned. You're allowed to be and still um, welcomed to be the best version of yourself that you can be. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's, our, I think, one of our aims for mm-hmm. sure. Katie, thank you so much. Thanks. This has been such a pleasure. Yes, it has been for me as well. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to No Ceiling wherever you find your podcasts or visit sbj.net forward slash no ceiling. This show is produced by AdSmith Studio with special thanks to Dustin Henderson and Joe Stearns. Photography and design by SBJ's Mackenzie Robinson. American National is the show's presenting sponsor with support from Great Southern Bank. I'm Christine Temple and this is No Ceiling.